Well, can anybody relate to that? <laughs> Maybe there's been times where you felt like in your house is exactly what it feels like. It's not necessarily shaving cream, but it's something else or something going on within the home. It's unhinged, a bit crazy, a bit like a circus. I can relate to this all the time, I feel like. And chances are in this room, there's probably others that can do the same. I've been really excited about this series for a couple different reasons, but one of the main ones is just I believe that God has a plan for our families that if we're able to actually tap into, like, it could change the way that we relate to one another altogether. It could change the way that we relate to the world around us. And so for that reason, I've been very, very excited, but also because as the pastor of students and young adults at this church, I carry a heavy burden for our families within our congregation. Um, I think about it often. I pray about it often. I want you to know that there are students' names that we pray for each and every week that we remember um, as we come in on a Monday. There are families and and parents we pray for often just believing that God is going to use you and do something great through you. In fact, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't believe that. My heart's also heavy because I believe that families, now more than ever, there are so many things vying for our attention, aren't there? And there are so many things that could possibly cause us to get distracted from one another or from the things that are best for us. And so this series, Family Circus, is really all about that. Number one, recognizing that all of our families have a bit of a circus within it, don't they? I mean, your circus might be big, might be small, might be a little bit different than mine, but we all have a circus of some kind. Uh, My family, I'm going to be honest, is a bit of a circus. The Miller family is a circus of circuses, actually. Um, Ever since I was a little kid, I, I was very fully aware of this, from uncles to aunts to cousins to everything, crazy, crazy town. And so, in fact, my family, we gather together, we try to, um, every other year, as a bit of a family reunion, the Miller family comes together in Kentucky to spend time with each other. All the clowns, all the acrobats, all the daredevils, all the wild animals all come together. About 25, 30 of us, we gather together. My aunt and uncle own a little farm right outside of town in Wilmore, Kentucky. So we all come from all parts of the country, and we spend time together there. People stay in different homes in the community of different family members and stuff, and some stay actually even in campers out on the property. And for those two or three days, it's like no holes barred, anything goes. So we eat a ton of food. We laugh a ton. I remember actually my wife and I were just talking about this. Last time we got together, we broke out into random patriotic songs all together, and people were like beating on tables, and it it was just wild. And so this is kind of what happens. We play games. We stay up late. We do all this stuff. But the pinnacle of our gathering together uh, really began a couple years ago when my cousins got the tractor out and they went out into the field and they dug a huge in-ground swimming pool size hole in the ground. And they took plastic then, they lined the entire thing and we filled it with water. Then we took 100 to 150 feet of thick plastic and, and ran it along the grass leading into the pool. And so what we did then for the next hours upon hours, didn't matter how old you were in the family or how young you were in the family, we all took turns sliding down this massive piece of plastic into this pool over and over and over again. Some would hang out in the pool, and as people came in, they would just like, you know, raise their hands and clap and everything as people came sliding in. And eventually that wasn't quite speedy enough, so in regular Miller fashion, we decided to get the go-kart and tie a rope to the back of it and then have a handle on that so you could get pulled even faster down the plastic into the pool of water. So I was going to try to find a video of this. I couldn't find it. Jenna says she has it somewhere, but um, it's probably better not to show it so I don't lose my job. But when we get together, this kind of stuff happens. I mean, the Miller family is crazy, and the Miller family is a bit of a circus. And what I've found is I've gotten married, the Owens family is not much different. We all have a bit of circus within us, don't we? I mean, sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. But the truth be told, everyone, all of us, have some kind of crazy going on. My family, I've found even this cold Miller circus mentality has kind of found itself into my brood. My six and three-year-old have the same kind of thing. I come home sometimes, my wife's like, you have to save me. 
And that's no joke. And she's in there jumping from couch to couch, off the stairs, splashing water out of the tub, dropping crumbs everywhere. My son's in here. Don't do that anymore, son. And also wrestling with the dog. I mean, you name it. This is the kind of stuff that happens within my house, and chances are it happens within your house too. Because all of us, all of our families are a bit of a circus. It's crazy from time to time, but it's a good crazy. It can be a good crazy. In fact, during this series, we've decided as a church to institute a bit of a hashtag that we want to encourage you as a congregation to be a part of. And so if you're on social media in any kind of way, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we'd encourage you over the next few weeks during this Family Circus series to, to hashtag my family circus and tell us a story. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just come tell me about your story and I'll be glad to hashtag it for you. But if you're on social media in some kind of way, we'd love for you to hashtag MyFamilyCircus at Mount MC and tell us about the crazy of your family. Tell us about your circus. That way you know you're not alone and we can all celebrate together in all the crazy. But we have a couple that I want to share with you already from our congregation, a bit of these hashtags. So hashtag MyFamilyCircus first comes from Deep Fried J DJC. It says, we knew from a young age that our daughter was going to be a great artist. It just was unfortunate that we first realized her talent when the wall was her canvas and her diaper was her palette. <laughs> oh, come on. You know what's happened to you two. Uh, from At Wild Stallion, here's what it says. My dad once lit our gazebo on fire trying to kill a small colony of rats. The neighbors called the fire department, and my job was to hide the gasoline tank before they got there. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, at Coates, E-R-I-C-M-D, says this, I took our one and three-year-old to the train museum, and I needed to use the single-stall bathroom while there. As I held my one-year-old in one arm, my three-year-old opened the bathroom door. I had no hands available to grab the door, so the line outside got to watch. <laughs> and then lastly, um, from at Trevor Alvin, I have no idea who this one's from. Um, we lost, once lost our Apple TV, truth be told, we twice lost our Apple TV uh, for months. It was found in an air vent along with a poured out bag of Lucky Charms, a pound of Legos, a half-eaten Pop-Tart, and $2 cash. <laughs> Hashtag my family circus. So please, over the next weeks of this series, we'd love to see you on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Share with us your stories of your crazy family circus so we can celebrate together. And we will be sharing some of these throughout the, services, or the, the series as well. So... When we get together as a church, we get to celebrate our craziness, all the circus, all of it. So during this season, during this series, we really, really want to champion the family. We believe God has great plans for our family, and so we want to come together during this series and fight for the family, because in the end, I believe with all of my heart, all the pastors, all the staff, this church, we believe that the Bible teaches us that our family was meant to be the greatest show on earth. Our family was always intended to be the greatest show on earth. And I want to encourage you even now as we get into this message, you're going to have a temptation for some of the families in this room to be like, well, that's not us, so I'm going to stop listening. Don't. Don't. The beautiful thing about a family is that it's always growing. It's always changing. There's, there's dynamics to it. It's never static. So the chances that this morning God could speak into your family and change the dynamic of your family, that it was always meant to be the greatest show on earth. That was the intention from the beginning. Truth be told, I did not go to the circus until I was in college. So when I was in college here in Columbia, the, the circus came to town. So some friends and I decided, hey, let's go to the circus. That sounds like a fun thing. So we did. We went downtown. And to be honest with you, I totally expected to come in and sit down and be completely underwhelmed. Because after all, I'm a college student now. So I'm past this whole circus vibe. So we went and we sat down and started watching the whole thing unfold. And from the very beginning, I'm going to be honest with you, I was blown away. 
Because seeing all the elephants and all the animals, the, the fire breather, the, the sword swallower, the jugglers, the clowns, the acrobats, all of it all happening right in front of me in such a crazy array, it blew me away. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, listen, P.T. Barnum knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, this circus is meant to be the greatest show on earth, unlike anything you've ever seen before. And here's what I know to be true. If you ask most people where the message of the redemptive work of Christ is meant to be shared with the world, where this is supposed to take place, most people would tell you it's to come from who? The church. It's the church's job to share this good news of Jesus and to tell the world. The church is meant to do that. I beg to differ. I think actually from the very beginning, from the very beginning book of the Bible, the intention was not for this to happen actually through the church, but first and foremost, it was meant to take place through the family. You see, God's redemptive plan for the world actually originated with a single family, and it took off from there. You see, the book of Genesis, this book is a lot of times referred to as the book of generations. That's because this book is full of generation after generation after generation of stories. This father and that father, this family and that family. But it all begins in chapter 12 with a specific family. In fact, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are all unfolding on a macro level, the kind of damage that sin has done to the world, the kind of chaos that everything has spun into. And then in chapter 12, God, for the first time in a long time, speaks to an individual, and this individual's name is Abram at this point in time. Later on, his name becomes Abraham. You may have heard of him. The founding father of this movement, this Jewish movement, this Hebrew movement that we now know as Christianity. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God comes and speaks to him. And all throughout the book of Genesis, all these generations, all these families, we begin to see unfold God's restoration plan for all of humanity unfolding right alongside of families that are formed next generation, next generation, next generation. And the story of this amazing God gets, gets passed from generation to generation to generation to us here today. In fact, the framework of the entirety of all the scriptures is found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Here's what the Bible says. It says, The Lord then spoke to Abram, Go from your country, your people, Abram, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then it says this, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse in all people on earth will be blessed through who? Through you. Through you, Abram. I'm going to bless you and your family. But here's the thing. It's not just for you. This blessing that God is going to give you, it's meant to be for all people everywhere. It's meant to be a blessing for the entire earth. It's going to change everything. You see, God's plan to redeem his broken creation, it doesn't happen through the church necessarily. First and foremost, it happens by entrusting a blessing into a people, into a family, into Abram's family. This concept has really begun to kind of shift the way that I see my own family. And if we're honest, all of us in this room, we might say that from time to time, our children might frustrate us. I'm just being honest. Maybe they don't listen to us the way we want them to, or maybe there are Pringles all over the floor. Perhaps something did get flushed down the toilet that wasn't meant to go down the toilet. I mean, a lot of us in this room, we can relate to that. It's frustrating sometimes. And my wife, who has far, far, far fewer faults than I do, can be a bit frustrating, and I know I can too. And so within our family, there are these times, potentially, you can find yourself getting so frustrated over some of the small and menial things, the day-to-day -day life. 
But if I can shift my perspective to come to realize that my family that God has given me is a blessing to me, not a frustration, that this blessing that God has given to me is not actually just for me. This blessing is actually meant to be for the world. If I could shift my perspective and see this, that when God speaks to me, I can love my wife well, that I can enjoy my children, that I can honor my father and my mother by the way that I live my life and give them a good name. If I could see this from a different perspective, I might come to find that my family can be a vehicle for hope for the rest of the world. I'm going to bless you, Abram. I'm going to bless you, and this blessing is meant to be for all people, and it's through your family it's through your lineage, it's through generations who will come after you that the world will know that God loves them and God is here for them. See, I believe with all of my heart that the health of our families is important. We aren't perfect. I don't know about you, but my family is not perfect. And if you are, I'd love to talk to you afterwards because I have another whole four weeks of this series we would love to get some of your perspective. And we're not perfect. But some of us as families, we can come to realize that God can do something in us, that our heavenly father, our good father, can make our families the kind of families that can make a a difference and be a change agent for the world. This is what having a family circus is all about. This is if we can change our perspective, what we could possibly see. Family matters. And it matters because God has placed all kind of power within the family. I went to pick up my youngest son, my three-year-old from school. He goes to M Kids Academy here at the church. So I went to pick him up the other day, and um, I heard a familiar phrase that gets said to me often when I was picking him up. Someone said from behind me, hey, you're here picking up your mini-me. I said, what? You're picking up your mini-me. He looks just like you. And I hear that all the time, that my son Owen, we look just alike. I don't know what it is. It's like our nose or our, our smile or our head or just the dashing good looks all together. I don't know what it is. Something about us favors each other so much that when people look at us, we're like, listen, that's, that's Trevor's kid. I would, even without the beard, I know that's Trevor's kid. And it's coming in. Don't worry, guys. It'll be here soon. There are these traits that I'm finding exist between me and my son. In fact, when I was a kid, I remember running through the halls of my rural United Methodist Church in Indiana, and, and I would be running too fast, and there would be ladies in the church who would look at me like, that's a little Phil right there. And my dad's name is Phil. And there's something about my dad and me also. Even as a young kid, people would say, you look just like your dad. There's something about you, your mannerisms, the way you speak. And even now as I get older and more and more gray hair comes in, more and more, I become like my father. And and there's something that has come from Phil Miller into Trevor Miller that now has gone into my other two boys and, and maybe most vividly through Owen where people would look at us and say, there's something about you two that I can tell something, some kind of trait has come down through this generation. We have all been shaped by our family of origin in some kind of way or another. All of us. We are who we are because of the family that we've come from. Uh, For good or for bad, we all come from a certain family. And in fact, our family of origin is the very thing that has molded and shaped us. It's shaped the way that we think about the world. It's shaped the way we think about people. It's shaped the way we think about God. And one of the best things we can do is come to the realization that our family, our family of origin has a lot to do with the kind of person that we are. And in a lot of ways, this is so beautiful. I mean, as a kid, I remember very young watching my family. My parents were so awesome at just loving people. Like my parents had like an open door policy. Like people just get, could just come over. If the house was messy, whatever it was, just come over. And, and there, was, there was like food and they would have food for people and we'd come and hang out at the house. And, and I mean, people just came all the time. It was an awesome thing to watch my mom and dad love people really, really well and actually genuinely enjoy them. 
I remember in middle school and high school, it was not odd for any day of the week to have 20, 30 of my friends at my house hanging out. My parents now say it was so awesome because they knew exactly where I was. I was right there with all my friends. But I remember sitting in the kitchen sometimes, standing there and having 20 kids around like the kitchen table. My mom be popping pizza rolls in and out of the oven so everybody had something to eat. My dad be in the corner like making jokes, making people laugh and stuff. And I, I look back on that and now I realize it has shaped me in a certain kind of way. Like my wife and I, we love to have people at our house. Like I, I love to be hospitable. I love to spend time with people. It's, it's something I really, really enjoy. In fact, I think it's something that's helped me within my ministry here at the church even. I just love to be around people. I love people. And there's something that took place when I was very, very young. There was something that I picked up, some kind of trait, some kind of, some kind of way of life that now has become a part of the way that I live too. And truth be told, I'll pass it on to somebody else. I have been shaped by my family of origin. And sometimes that is so beautiful. But, but the same is true as well. Some of us have been shaped by our family of origin, and sometimes it comes as a source of pain. A few years back, I was working with uh, another youth ministry here in the, the Columbia area, and we had an event where a bunch of students came together to church, and I met a student new. I'd never met him before. And from the very get-go, the first time I met him, I realized there was some kind of pain in his life. There was something, something deep within his life, some kind of wound. So I got to know him a little bit better. We started spending time here and there a little bit more, and I got to know him a little more. All of a sudden, a few months later, we actually had our first like, kind of conversation. And I started just asking some questions, and he began to open up about his life. And this kid told me about how when he was very young, from the time he was very young, his dad made sure that he was aware that he was never going to amount to anything. He had an older brother who was so successful and did all kinds of stuff, and his dad would never let him forget that he wasn't successful as his older brother. You'll never be like your older brother. And so this kid for years and years and years had carried around this pain and this brokenness in his heart because of something that was said to him from his family of origin, something that had been passed down to him that had now become a, a difficulty, had now become a chain within his life. And he carried this burden throughout his life and it, it actually had shaped him in some kind of way. And so I watched him throughout his life and a lot of his life was about avoiding those words who had been spoken to him. He's gonna prove people wrong. All of his motivation all of his efforts went toward making sure his dad knew that he was wrong. You see, we come from a family of origin of some kind, and it shaped us for better or for worse, all of us. The temptation is to try to avoid that, to try to pretend like that's not true, but the truth is, this is how it works from generation to generation to generation. This is, in fact, what God intended for this to happen. But unfortunately, as broken, sinful people, we have a tendency a lot of times to pass on things that we shouldn't. Each of us, for good or for bad, we've been handed something by our families. And some of the things that we've been handed have, have literally come from generations back. I know some folks who have addictions within their life and it originated with a great-grandfather. And it went to the grandfather and to the father and then to them. I know families who are marked by infidelity over and over, generation after generation. Poor money management, promiscuity, inexcusable fear, divorce, these things have a tendency to be passed on from one generation to the next. Our family of origin has shaped us in some kind of way. And some of us in this room, we need to begin to realize that we have to come to terms with some of these things. Our tendency is to do one of two things. Pretend like it's not there and everything is fine. Brush it under the rug. Or we spend the rest of our lives vowing to never become like our mother and our father. No matter what I do, I'll never be that. And that is our driving force. The problem is that either way that we live, it is the defining factor of who we are. 
And what I've found is when we allow things like that to own us, it's so limiting for us. But what I've also found in my life is we begin to own our past. This is who I am and where I come from. When we begin to own our past, our past stops owning us. It begins to let go more and more. Next week, I'm actually going um, home to my hometown in Indiana for the first time in like six years. Yeah, six years ago, we went to, uh, to home for Christmas, and on that trip, we actually took my grandmother and put her into a nursing home, and she's never left. She's been there ever since. Um, she has dementia, and at this point in time, pretty much breathes and eats and doesn't do a whole lot more and sleeps. She doesn't know who anybody is, and it is a really painful thing for my family to watch. And truth be told, my great-grandmother, the same thing happened. She's in the exact same nursing home as my great-grandmother, a couple miles from my home. And so I've told people for a long time, I've just been too busy to go back home. I've had other things to do than to go back home. And it was actually at our Miller family reunion a couple years ago where I realized that that's not true. What I've been doing is I've been avoiding it. Because I want to remember my grandmother the way I'd always known her as a kid. You know, I don't want to see her like this and have to have that memory. And when I go back home, even, there's certain things from my past that it begin to rush back to me. I mean, I'm sure if you've been home, gone for a, a long time and you go back and it's like, whoa, the, too much emotion, too much stuff. And so for a lot of reasons, I've just decided I'm not going to do that. I don't want to subject myself to that. But my wife has always told me, we need to go back. We need to go visit the boys. We need to go up there. And so we decided this is, this is the time. Next week, we're going to go back. And I feel like God's, God's doing it for a reason. I'm going to have a chance to go to my home church and stand in front of my home church and say, listen, Sorry. Thank you. I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today without your investment. I think sometimes in our life, we have to be willing to go back home in a lot of different ways, metaphorically or physically, to revisit some of these things that too often have become chains for us and held us down because we have been shaped by our family of origin. But here's the other thing I'm realizing. If we've been shaped by our family of origin, we have the opportunity now to actually shape the family of the future as well. And I realize in this room there may be families who have children, but I realize you may be a grandmother or a grandfather who's investing in your grandchildren still today. You may be investing in your child still today, just in a new way. We have to come to realize that we are shaping the family of the future right here and right now. The greatest responsibility that I have been given within my life is not my job here at this church. My greatest responsibility I've been given is actually two little blonde boys who are at home. That's my greatest responsibility. I mean, even today when I leave this church service and I go home, my oldest son is going to come to me and say, Dad, will you go in the backyard and throw the football with me 600 times? I've already thrown it 700 times yesterday, and Jenna did 300 more before I got there. And for some reason, I'm going to have to yell out some inexplicable number that's going to kind of arbitrarily be added up for whatever reason as he catches each ball. But I realize is when I get home, there's going to be something inside of me that wants to sit on the couch and just zone out for just a bit. You know, it's been a long day, whatever excuse I might have. But I, I have to come to realize that that 30 minutes I can spend investing in my son, it's going to pay dividends in the years to come. It's going to shape him. It's going to do something to him. John Eldridge, in his wonderful book, um, he says that there are two sons that he has. He takes them um, rock climbing. And uh, in this book, he says that his older son's rock climbing, going up the rock face, and about halfway up, he gets nervous, and he doesn't think he can finish it. And so as his son's hanging on the side of the rock, he's yelling from the ground, you can do it, buddy, you can make it. You're a tiger up there. You can do it. You can finish. 
And he says in the book that eventually his son does. He gets to the top and he releases him and they bring him back down and he, they untie him and he ties up his second son who begins to climb then also. And he says he's standing there watching his second son on the rock and belaying him as he climbs. And all of a sudden he hears from the side of him his first son who had just rock climbed say to him, Dad, did you really think I was a tiger up there? And he says in the book, I had an opportunity. I had a moment in time to either stay focused on what I was doing and just see that as the only important thing right now or to look at my son and say, yes, you were. You were a tiger up there. We don't get many opportunities like that. So when they come, we got to take full advantage. Like, I want to I be able to make sure that every opportunity I get with my boys, I take full advantage of. So I'm shaping the family of the future. I'm handing something off to them. I have to see it in that kind of way. So the way I speak to my sons, the way I spend time with them, the way I sacrifice for them, the way, the way that I hold them, the way I ask for forgiveness when I do wrong, the way I praise my boys when they do right, we are always shaping the future because this is how God has designed the family. We pass something off. Andy Stanley says it so perfectly when he says this. The greatest contribution to the kingdom of God that you will make may not be something that you do, but it may be someone that you raise. The greatest contribution you may make to the world may not be something you do here in this church. It may be someone that you raise, the investment that you make within your family. And so your little acrobat, your teenage daredevil, your house full of clowns, they can be the greatest show on earth to give an example of what it looks like for God to love the world. Are we perfect? No. I'll be the first to say it. We are messed up. But we can allow God into our life to change us and to make a difference in our family first and then within the world. I believe the only way this can really take place is we have to unlearn some things. There's some things that we've been taught along the way throughout our life that we have to unlearn. Two weeks ago, my family and I, along with uh, Nick Cunningham and his family, went to the beach for a couple days, and we had an amazing time down there. And Nick and I were talking about this message and this series and stuff, and we both kind of came to this conclusion that that I want to raise my boys in such a way, I want to raise my family to where they have to unlearn as little as possible as they get older. You know, truth be told, I'm going to screw up my kids in some kind of way. And you will too. And so if we can recognize there are going to be some things that they have to unlearn, and we want to teach them in such a way, raise them in such a way where they have to unlearn as little as possible, this is the way we can parent. Realizing that God is, is going to use us to invest within these kids. Already I'm finding things within my boy's life that are going to have to be curbed. You know, my son Owen has inherited the trait of loving sweets. So when there's a party and we show up, he's like, where's the cake? I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry, this is, this is my fault. I take full, full ownership of this. My older son Eli, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with, like, collecting things, anything, like all kinds of stuff. And my son Eli now, he's like football cards and it's this and all kinds of things, just collected, collected. And I'd be lying if I'd tell you I didn't enjoy it as well. But I'm like, I'm sorry, this is all me. I, I, I'm, I'm making it happen. I apologize. I mean, I'm realizing that there are some things that my sons are learning from me that one day they'll have to unlearn. So if your family is wonderful, there'll still be some things that have to be unlearned. If there's a source of pain for you, there's some things you have to unlearn. And when we do this, this allows us to find God within our family in such a way that it changes everything. The unhealthy patterns that have been handed to us by our family of origin the unhealthy patterns that we're potentially handing to our children, it can change, and it changes in a very specific way. And it's by embracing a whole new family right alongside of our family. John chapter 1, verse 9 through 13 says it perfectly this way. 
the writer says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Talking about Jesus. He was, he was in the world, and though the world was made aware of him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor a human decision or a husband's will, but instead born of God. The scriptures talk about this conversion experience that we have when we recognize Jesus as our Savior. And it says, they say it like this. It's like being born again. There is this whole alternate family that we, when we become followers of Jesus, we enter into as, with God as our Father. And those of, those, those of you sitting here as brothers and sisters, and ultimately brothers and sisters with Jesus, this is a new family. And this family, this Jesus, who's the light of the world, who's come into the world, he exposes all the dysfunction within our families, all the duplicity within our families, all the codependence within our families. And he shows us how he wants to heal us. This new family that we enter into changes everything. This is not an earthly thing. This is a spiritual thing. This is a new birth with a new father. We become a part of a new family altogether. In fact, it gives full light to what's talked about in Genesis chapter 12 when God says to Abram, through your family will come a blessing. I'm going to bless you and you will bless the world. This blessing is Jesus. In fact, if you trace it back generation after generation, this entire lineage behind Jesus takes you all the way back to Abraham. It's through his family that the Savior of the world comes. This was not just pretty language. This was a reality. That when Jesus shows up on the scene, he is the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham. That would come and change the world. So the healing that can happen within us personally, within our family, the restoration that can happen within us personally, within our family... The things that God is wanting to do and continuing to do, this takes place, I believe, in no other way other than being born again in our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. Again, does it make us perfect? No. But it makes me aware. It makes me aware of all the ways that I am dysfunctional. It makes me aware of all the ways that I make mistakes. It allows me to be able to say, I'm sorry, I screwed up. I want to change. That's what Jesus does. And when this happens, we get a new DNA altogether, a new DNA for a new family. We get a blood transfusion. Everything changes. Our very core of who we are, when the gospel takes hold, it changes things. And this new family that we get invited into, it supersedes any of our past family, any of our family of origin, anything that's come in that's unhealthy, this family supersedes that. Even the good things, this family supersedes that. And the family in which we are making now or we are continuing to invest in now, this new family gives direction for all of that. This is how we can love one another well. This is how old things change. This is how mistakes are rectified. This is how everything changes through Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when we become a part of the family of God, the big C church, we have the opportunity to begin to be reparented by God and reparented by the church. Because for some of us, we didn't have a great parenting experience. And for some of us, we're not doing a great parenting experience. But it can change by the work of Christ. One of the great gifts I have right now after being in this church for many, many years is watching some of my middle school students who I had years ago now get married, which I know dates me a little bit. I realize that. And so I'm meeting with these kids who were kids, these young adults who were once middle school kids in our program and sitting down with them. I'm able to say to them, hey, listen, you husband to be, 
your family of origin, all of your past, all of your history, it's going to change. And you, wife-to-be, all of your past, all of your origin, all of your history, all the dysfunction, it's now old news. Because now as you become one, you are a new family altogether. You're not that anymore. And you're not that anymore. You're something new and something different. And they have a chance right now to decide what that looks like. They can break chains, they can find freedom, and they can start afresh and anew. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7 says, But when the, the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption into sonship and daughtership. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of this son into our hearts, and the spirit calls out within us, Abba, Father. Because you are no longer a slave any longer, but you are God's children. And since you are children, you have been made heirs with Christ. You are no longer slaves, the Bible says. This DNA change, this new family changes everything. And what takes place is chains begin to break. Old chains, long chains have begun to break within our life. Like I told you, I had not been to the circus until I was in college. But I got real close one time. Because the circus came to town in my hometown when I was very young, maybe first grade, second grade. I remember going to the mall in my hometown, and at the mall they had these elephants out in the parking lot. And it was kind of a, a pre-circus festivity that hopefully people would come and see, and then eventually they'd buy tickets, they'd go to the circus. We didn't get to go, but I got to see the elephants. So my family drove to the mall, we got out in the parking lot, and this big, huge, massive, powerful elephant was standing in the middle of this parking lot. And family after family, kid after kid, was walking up this tall ladder and sitting on top of this elephant and just standing there for a little while, getting pictures and stuff, and it was so fun. And what I began to realize, even as a young kid, when I looked, this elephant had a shackle right on his foot, on the back side of his foot. And that shackle had a chain on it, and that chain went to a little peg stuck in the ground. And this peg was so small, I mean, this elephant could have ripped it out of the ground without any kind of um, thought behind it at all. Just taking it, freedom, chaos would ensue. But he didn't. He just stood there, family after family, kid after kid, even though he could do whatever he wanted to. And the reason is because these elephants, from the time they were very, very young, they have this shackle on their foot and this peg in the ground. They learned from a long time ago they don't have power over that peg. As a little elephant, they can't pull it out. And as they get older, in their hearts and in their minds, they realize it's the same as it's always been. I'm changed just like I've always been. And even though the power's there to change it, even though the power's there to pull it right out of the ground, they won't do it because they've been taught long ago, you can't. You can't. I believe this morning that there are some chains that exist within our life that maybe have gone back generations. And if we're honest, and if you were able to really speak it out, you would say, we don't talk about it much, but blah, blah, blah. We, we don't talk about it much, but, but grandma or grandpa or whatever it is. There are some chains within our life that have been long running. And what I believe that scripture tells us is that we are no longer slaves. The chains can be broken. And not only that, but the chains that get broken in your life, it's not just for you. Those chains can break for those who are to come after you. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. There are, there are some things that, that can be broken this morning that you would not have to pass on to your children or your grandchildren. There's some dysfunction that can be broken that doesn't have to exist anymore. We don't have to do this anymore. As sons and daughters of Christ, we've been given freedom, real freedom. And so this morning, 
even though I know this could be a bit awkward, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what's been said. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to just kind of boldly stand and, and come to the altar if you'd like this morning. Not because there's something magical about this altar, but simply because there's something about getting up and doing something to say that I'm going to put my foot in the ground. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to allow Jesus to reparent me and break some chains and and give me new life. It could happen this morning. I don't think that's just lip service. I've seen it actually take place in my own life. It's real. And so in a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But also, I know that as we've talked this morning, potentially there's some like deep stuff, some heavy stuff that maybe you've not thought about in a long time and you'd rather not think about. For the next two Wednesdays, we're going to have a class here up in our chapel um, on Wednesday nights during our programming time that I'd like to invite you to come to. We're going to dig a little deeper into family systems and some of the ways these things work out within our life. And David Olshine and myself and Nick Cunningham will be running that class. That's a circus right there. Um, So if you want to come at least watch, you can. But I believe that God could could take us a little bit deeper in the next couple weeks and maybe realize that there are some things that, that we can actually change some decisions we can actually make that might change the dynamic of our family and make us the greatest show on earth. So I want to invite you now to just boldly stand, if you would, if you feel like God may be leading you to, to just come and kneel at this altar and spend time in prayer. Would you just do it now? Please hear me, you don't have to. But if it's a physical response to what's happening on the inside, I believe it could could do some good and I'd like to pray with you we have plenty of time we're in no rush like to come, come. Let's pray together. God, I believe your word is true. I believe you're real. And I believe, God, that you have an intention for every single family that's represented here today. And Father, I know that within this room and across our campus this morning, there are probably all kinds of things that are even good that have come from families that that need to be relearned a bit, God, and retooled a bit. And I also am not naive to believe, God, that there are some in this room and across our campus that have a lot of pain when it comes to, to the past. Father, the truth is you don't want us to live with that pain any longer. And certainly, God, you don't want us to pass that on to our children or our grandchildren or generations to come behind us. So, Father, would you do something that only you can do by your spirit? Would you show us, God, that we are indeed your sons and daughters? Would we put our faith in Jesus Christ? There is power to break chains within our life that we can't even explain. So, God, would you do the hard work of searching our hearts and helping us to know ourselves when maybe it's difficult to do that? Help us, God, to put down our pride and to realize, God, that some of the work that you want to do within us, we might be blocking because we're unwilling to admit that we need a Savior, we need help. God, I pray for every dad in this room this morning. 
I pray for every mom in this room this morning, every grandparent in this room this morning. Father, would you empower them by the Spirit to be the best they could possibly be? To be able to roll with the punches when they mess up to say, I'm sorry, and when they do it right, to be able to thank you for the gift you've given them. And Father, I pray for every child in this room and across this church, God, that they would see their family as a gift to them. I pray that they would learn well, God. And I pray a blessing over this next generation, Jesus, that you would use them to make a difference in this world. We need you, God. It's so evident and it's so clear. And I believe, God, the way you change the world is not necessarily first and foremost through the church. It's through the family. So would you use these families, God, to make a difference? I pray against addiction across this room. I pray for freedom. I pray against complacency across this room, God. I pray that you would engage us once again in the work that you want to do. I pray for forgiveness across this room for things that may have happened. I pray for honesty across this room, God, that we might find healing. And so Jesus, show us, Father, that the shackles that have once hold us for a long time have no power over us anymore. But instead, God, you want to exert your power into our life. We invite you now to do so. So, Father, this morning we love you. We need you with all of our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.